I love to worship with my church family this morning, and, and I've had the privilege of not only leading you in worship, inviting you to worship with me, exalting the name of Jesus high together, um, but now we can unpack and, and look together in worship at God's word. And so if you haven't already, I'd love for you to turn to Psalm 139, and we're not going to read the, the whole portion as we've already read or, or pondered the first uh, 16 verses. And so in honor of God and his word, I'll invite you to stand with me, and we're going to read together verses 17 through the end of the chapter, verse 24, Psalm 139, starting in verse 17. David writes this, he says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked. Oh, God, O oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O oh Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. As we look now at God's word and what he has to say, let's just pause. You can even remain standing and let's pray together asking for God's blessing on our time. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and kindness, for your greatness God, we thank you for your, your powerful word that speaks to us right where we are. And God, I, I thank you for David and just his example of someone who lived a, a real life before others and how he shares that with us. And so I would pray now that as we look at your word, God, that you would show us in grace our sin and our imperfections and yet even that through those that you would challenge us. God, you, you command us for greater growth and righteousness this morning, and so I pray that today that you would teach us, that you would grow us, change us, conform us to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. And so we commit our time now to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Daniel... Praise the Lord is able to spend Thanksgiving with his family, and so even today I believe he's traveling, maybe even now, and so we could just pray for him today as he comes back. And so when those types of times happen, one of the staff gets to uh, be with you, and so, so that's me today. So if you are inviting family to come here, Pastor Daniel, this is not the Sunday to do that. You get me. But I, I am on a lifelong journey of, of going through the Psalms, and so... Um, I'm not sure if I will ever get through all the psalms as I teach once or twice, maybe even three times a year. And so at that rate, um, I will not make it. And so, uh, but this morning we're going we're gonna to look at Psalm 139. And, and I've, I've entitled it Theology 101. What should we know about God? What should we know about God? And there's a, there's a book that I would highly recommend by A.W. Tozer, and perhaps you've read it, it's called Knowledge of the Holy, and it, give, it just talks about 23 chapters about the different, some of the different attributes of God and his character, and A.W. Tozer, as he talks about 
many helpful things related to God's character. Here's a quote that I think is significant for us as we consider what we should know about God. He writes this. It's kind of lengthy, but he says, The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion, and man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most pretentious fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. In other words... He's saying that the most important thing that a man has is his understanding of God. And the most important message that the church has to give is the knowledge of God. And I think he is right on with that. As I read that and as, as I've thought about this psalm, I've, I've been thankful for Daniel and his faithfulness to proclaim the word. I did not plan to preach this week with him doing a, a, a two-week series of Biblical worship. So this maybe is a, a little insert of, do we know about God? In order for us to rightly worship God, do we really know all that we need to about God? And, and Daniel's laid it out well in many, in many forms. When we were in the Pentateuch studying and when we were in Galatians and studying, he always gave that cycle of a knowledge of God, we get to love God and obey God and receive his blessing. And so again, it starts with the, the foundational truth, the theology 101 of having a knowledge of God. And so this morning, we're going to consider four truths about who God is. And, and we're going to consider them in the context of Psalm 139. And I'll admit, when I, when I picked this psalm, a few months back, oh, I, I know Psalm 139. You're going to recognize some of the verses familiar to you. But as I studied the psalm and I thought through it and looked at the context surrounding it, this is not the sermon that I was prepared to teach to you today. God taught me some different things about him. The, the, the reality that David was living in was different than what I thought it, was be, thought it would be based on the full scope of Psalm 139. And so this morning, we're going to break it out into four truths about who God is. At the outset, let me just say, I, I, don't, I don't know everyone in this room well. In fact, I may not know some of you at all. But I, I would not have to go too far out on a limb, or I wouldn't have to call myself a prophet to know that there is something true about everyone in the room this morning. And the reason I know that it's true is because it's true in my life. And, I, and I'm confident, positive that it's true of yours. And the truth is this. The truth is that everyone here this morning, whether you're young or whether you're older, everyone has been hurt or wronged by someone at some time in their life. Everyone. Now, it, it may have been at the hands of, of a family member or a friend, maybe a, maybe a co-worker, a fellow student. It might have been intentional or maybe not even in an intentional way. 
But the reality is, all of us, in big and small ways, sometimes in in life-devastating ways, life-affecting ways, we have been hurt and wronged. And we all know that in, in those moments of pain, the emotional hurt, whether physical or even emotionally, it comes as a result of, the, of being wronged. And it's in those moments, in those times of being wronged that, that is produced in us all kinds of, of feelings and, and thoughts. Sometimes it's, it's feelings of insecurity. You, you say in your mind, I, I've, been, I've been wronged, I've been hurt, and so now I'm feeling insecure. I, I'm feeling alone. I, I'm feeling forgotten, rejected, unloved. We've all been there at some time, feeling those ways, thinking those thoughts, alone, forgotten, insecure. And I would guess as well that since we've all been there, there's that temptation that those situations produce. That the temptations toward sinful anger toward those who have wronged us or hurt us. Or becoming isolated where we, we separate ourselves and become bitter. Or maybe even we, we lash out in vengeance towards those that wrong, wronged or hurt us. I want you to catch this. Psalm 139, it's, it's about those things. It's about, it's about being wronged and hurt. It's about the tendency that we have, that David had, toward feelings and thoughts of rejection, the temptation towards anger and bitterness and even lashing out to others. We're going to see as David wrote Psalm 139, that he is going through some sort of hurtful situation. Now, we don't know the exact circumstances. We don't know who or what group of people have wronged him or hurt him. But what I hopefully, what we'll hopefully see by the end of this psalm is that someone has hurt him, someone has wronged him, and as he's expressing with us a common experience of being wronged and hurt. But what we're going to see, hopefully, is that even as he wrestles through it, his response is uncommon. And so what is uncommon about Psalm 139, I want you to catch right at the outset here, is how David thinks about the wrongs that have been done to him. How he responds to the hurt that others have caused him. We'll see that he's not thinking about becoming isolated or becoming bitter, but rather he is reflecting on what he knows about God and how great God is. Hopefully we're going to see that this morning. In fact, as we work our way through Psalm 139, let's consider four truths about God and how to apply them. Essentially, Psalm 139 is theology 101. Who is God? What do I know about God? What are the the foundational truths that we should know about God? David makes his understanding of God in this psalm very personal. He makes it very practical. And so what I would say is to help us 
in similar situations. I'm going to share with you the applications of things not to do. Maybe that's a bad, a bad way to, to preach. Here's what you should not do as the application, but we're going to do it anyway because I'm not the preaching pastor. So, so here's the first thing. As our, our Bibles are open to 139, we're going to look right at the text. Here's the first thing when you are wronged and hurt. The application is, you can put them both up there. The application is, don't whine. Don't whine, whine because God knows exactly how I feel and what I'm going through. God knows exactly how I feel and what I'm going through. Look at verse 1 with me. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. I want you to think about it this way. Imagine I was to ask you to write a song for me. Or maybe to, to put together a poem about how you're thinking or how you're feeling when you've been wronged or hurt by others. You're feeling that pain, the difficulty that goes along with it. What would that song sound like? What would that poem go like on a Sunday morning in worship? I'm going to tell you this. If, if it was me, my poem or my song it would not sound like these verses here. It would sound something more like this. Oh Lord, what are you doing? Don't you know that, that I don't deserve these things? Don't you know that I don't need any of these things? Don't you know any better, Lord? Would that be what yours is like? If we're honest, it might. It's easy when wrongs are done, especially when things that we don't deserve or, or didn't somehow initiate to think and respond rightly. It's easier to whine, to complain, to argue and debate with God about what he's doing, what he's up to, how he's doing it and how it shouldn't be. And on and on we whine. But David is doing none of that here. There's no, there's no whining and complaining. But rather, David, what he does is he takes us to, talks to us about thinking about who God is. And even more specifically about how God knows. Look at verse 1. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. The word there for searched, it could be pictured like someone panning for gold. I don't know if you guys have been to Tanner's lately this season. I went this past fall and I took my kids and, and they have this new, new to me thing where you, the, your kids could pan for jewels and there's this little contraption with water stream that goes in and you have this little box with netting in the bottom and then you buy this overpriced bag of dirt with stuff in it and, uh, and you put it in there and you stick it in, in and you shake it and you pour it and you sift and you wash it out. And what do you have when you're done? Well, they say jewels, but I don't really know. But, um, 
But that's the picture here of, of, of searching and working. That's this word, searched. And so David says, here's what I know about God. God knows me because he carefully examines me. God knows me completely and comprehensively. He knows. Verse 2, it says, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Do you see the picture here? How, how God's knowledge is, is all-encompassing. There's, there's nothing that God does not know. The divine attribute could be said, omniscience, all-knowing. God is never caught by surprise by our circumstances. He never sees your hurt or your wrong and says something like, well, wow, I didn't see that coming. That could never happen. God knows. He's aware. He's, he searched us. He knows our path, where we are at every part of the day. Look at verse 4. It says, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, Lord, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. I wrote this down in my notes. Maybe you could write in yours. It says, God knows because God plans. God knows because God plans. The idea as it relates to our lives is not just that God sees what's coming and warns us, uh oh, here comes some wrong, here comes some, some pain, some harsh words, some difficult circumstance. You better watch out. Hold on, I see it, here it comes. That's, that's not God's knowing. You see, God knows because God plans, He determines. Did you notice that in verse 5 it says, You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. God determines the boundaries of our life. He determines our circumstances. He numbers our days and determines their content. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand. God is not the author of sin. James makes that very clear. God is not causing people to sin, but God's word tells us that he, he uses it. He allows it into our lives, even plans for it so as to grow us, to change us, to confront us, or whatever he wants to do in our lives in this plan that he has. But here's the point. God knows. God plans he hems us in front and behind. He determines the boundaries of our lives. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but the more I think about that, the more mind-blowing it becomes. In fact, I, I think it's mind-blowing to David. Look at verse 6. He writes this, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. When I stop to think about my life as I wrestle through the hurts, the wrongs, perhaps the mistreatments I've received, 
The fact that God knows, the fact that God has planned, the fact that God has determined the boundaries and even desires to use those in my life for my good and for his glory, can you fathom that? I, I can't wrap my head around that truth. If we're honest, if we're real, the reality is neither can we. How does God think like that? Why, why does God do it that way, we often will ask. You know what the answer is that I'm coming to? I don't always know. And you don't always know. And we don't even always have to know. Knowing is on God's part. And even though I may not fully grasp or even never grasp all that God has and the plans that he has established for us, he knows. And I can trust him. David is inviting us in these words to trust God. God knows, and I'm going to trust him. I'm going to rest in his knowledge of me. He knows exactly how I feel and what I'm going through. And so I don't have to whine. I don't have to complain or question them anything about my circumstances because God knows. We're thinking about the truths of God when we're hurt or wronged. Here's, here's truth number two in this application. Truth number two, don't wallow. Don't wallow. When we're thinking about these truths, God is always with me no matter my circumstances. God is with me no matter my circumstances. Wallowing means to literally be overwhelmed with worry. Maybe it starts with worry or fear, but it grows into wallowing where we're just so overwhelmed and can't even think straight about it. Notice here again how this is theology 101, made personal and practical. Look with me at verse 7. He says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day. For darkness is as light with you. What David is declaring here, what he is saying, proclaiming, is something great about God. It really, it really doesn't get much better than this truth about God in these verses. God is always with me. No matter where I go, no matter what the circumstance even though I may feel alone and forgotten, I, I might feel like everyone in the world is, is against me when I'm wronged or when I'm mistreated, when it feels like I've been rejected. But here's the truth. Not everyone has left me. There's somebody with me. There's somebody standing beside me. There's somebody who is always there. I'm not alone. I'm not forgotten. God is with me. God is with me. And notice this. David, it's not like David is trying to escape God. He's not in his hurt and wrong. He's not looking for some place where he could go where God isn't. 
That's not the point of what he's writing. He's saying that God is everywhere. The big word, omnipresence, right? There's nowhere that we can go. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? No matter where I go, I'm not trying to get away, not trying to escape, but rather, no matter where I go, I know that God is there with me. Look at the emphasis of verse 11. David says, Surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Pretty much that describes what it's like to be hurt and wronged. It's, it's often a dark time in our lives, a time where the weight is heavy upon us, and we feel that hurt and that pain, we're battling the emotions that go along with that. Our minds are often clouded. Our, our thinking becomes skewed. The darkness is always there. And so in those times where David found himself, look at what he says in verse 12. He said, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. If you've ever been in total darkness, it can be very scary and unnerving. I tell you a story of when I was in college and went in a cave, but I won't. But it's dark. But in those times of darkness, look at what David is saying. Where he, even though we might feel lost, alone, or helpless, he knows that God is there with him. And even in those times, our darkest days, God is going to help. Because with God, there is not dark. There's no cloud that hides anything. There's no skewing of our perspective or understanding. For the night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. I love that understanding of God. No matter how dark my day or how difficult my circumstance, God is with me. And able to see me through. I don't need to wallow in the, oh no, why me? Oh no, how, how am I going to get out of this? Oh no, am I going to be okay? Is this going to work out? There's no reason to wallow in all the self-pity that comes in times of hurt and wrong and mistreatment. Whatever they may include, God's with me. God's with me no matter what the circumstance. He's with me. Theology 101. What should I know about God? He knows. He's present. Now here's the third application in truth from verse 13 to 18. The application is don't wrestle. God is in control and has me where he wants me. God is in control and has me where he wants me. Don't wrestle. Remember that. When I'm hurt, when I'm mistreated or wrong, sinned against, don't wrestle. God is in control and, and has me where he wants me. Look at verse 13. It says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. 
My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. These, some of these are familiar words, aren't they? They're often used as a reminder that God is, is the author of life. Often they're used of the sanctity of life, the preciousness of life. And, and there's no doubt that these words highlight the preciousness of life. But what I found in looking at this context more closely, that's not what the theme or the focus of this psalm is about. It's not merely a psalm about how we are made and created by God, even in the secret, how that life is precious from conception all the way to death. While that is true, it's not the primary focus of this psalm. What what I believe David is saying here in verses 13 through 16 is this. He's saying, I've been created by God, and so God controls every single part of me. Every single aspect of my life, God created me. I'm just the way that he wants me to be. And he continues to guide my life and and plan my life and seeks to use my life under his control all the time. He has me right where he wants me. Verse 15, my frame is not hidden from you. Verse 16, you... Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. We have to have a right understanding of of who God is. He's not, God is not walking around in heaven nervous and fearful that our lives are not going to turn out right. Catch this, God's plan for your life and mine is not being adapted and modified along the way. God's not like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. Came out of nowhere, I didn't see that fender bender happening, or I didn't see that circumstance coming. That's not God, that's, that's not the sovereignty of God. That's not how he, how he controls our lives. God's plans for our life are not being adapted or modified as we go through it. Sometimes it seems like that from our perspective, doesn't it? I don't know what tomorrow holds. And though I may make some plans for tomorrow, something unexpected may arise, probably will. And I might have to change and modify my plans. But God is in control. He is not like us. He, he determines the plan and it un- unfolds exactly the way he intended it to. Every single piece of it. He's formed us. He's formed our days. He's determined their number and its content. And he, he saw it. He planned it before there was even any of it. God's in control. And so at any given time of my life, Especially when when hurts and wrongs, pain. God wants me to know, I don't need to wrestle. I don't need to try to escape the circumstances, to end the pain, to, to rearrange my life in such a way that I won't be hurt again. God's in control. 
God is going to use the things in our lives to grow us and change us, to mature us and conform us more into the image of his son, Jesus. Now, that's a hard truth to embrace. It's hard amidst pain and difficulties of life to say, this is where God wants me. God wants me here. We might often say to ourselves, well, wait a minute, God, I, I wouldn't do it that way. I wouldn't have planned it that way. I, I didn't want this difficulty. I didn't ask for this in my life. I wouldn't have orchestrated it in such a way where people would wrong me or someone would sin against me. Surely God can't be in control of this. He is. It's hard to understand. Perhaps too high for us to understand. But God has a plan that he is unfolding. We, we need not to wrestle, but rather trust him with our plans because he has us right where he wants us to be. Theology 101, made, made personal and practical, foundational truths of what we should know about God. Don't, don't whine. God knows exactly how I feel and what I'm going through. Don't wallow. God is always with me no matter my circumstances. Don't wrestle. God is in control and has me where he wants me. And number four, here's number four. Don't wrong. God will do what is best and right for me and all involved. God will do what is best and right for me and all involved. Don't wrong. Getting thirsty. Look with me at verse 19. He writes, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. I think we can identify with David's words here. You see, in these verses where we really get to the heart of the psalm, here's where we're, we're kind of let in on where David's at. We see that, that life for him is not, not all roses, it's not all honky-dory. There's something wrong going on. There's some wrongs that have taken place or, or hurts that have been done. David is, is under attack, and it's not just an attack on him, but at least from his perspective, it's an attack on God. And so he makes his feelings pretty clear here. He says, oh, that you would slay the wicked. In other words, he's saying, hey, God, get the bad guy. I'm, I want to call down fire from heaven. They're not doing what's right, God. They're, they're sinning against me. They're, they're sinning against you, God. Take them out. Lay it on them. Oh, that you would slay the wicked. O men of blood, depart from me. See, David is not, he's not hiding his feelings there. He's not sugarcoating it and being gracious. He's being real. He says in verse 21, Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I mean, how much does David hate them? He says, I hate them with complete Hatred. 
I can't hate them any more than I already do. I, I really, really hate them. He says, I count them my enemies. Now, put yourself in David's place and, and you think as I need to about the times when I've found myself where he is. People having sinned against me, hurt me, sometimes intentionally, sometimes maybe not as intentional, but, but hey, this is where I am. I'm feeling the pain. I'm feeling the hurt. I'm feeling insecure and rejected. And so wouldn't you say in those moments, the temptation would be to say, okay, these people need to pay. There's this temptation to say, hey, God, you... You could sit this one out, God. You could take the day off here. I'll, I'll make them pay. I'll, I'll determine what they deserve for what they've done to me. God, I, I don't really need you in this moment. I, I mean, I'd love it if you would send down fire from heaven, but, but here's what I really want. What I really want is I'll just, I'll just play God. I'll, I'll determine what should happen, and I'll make it so. Have you been there? Maybe, maybe only I have, but I'm sure that we've all been there desiring to determine the punishment, the, the retribution and the consequences that should be done to people who have wronged or hurt us in some way. But catch this. This is not, this is not where David is. He says he hates them. He loathes them. They are his enemies. He wants God to slay them. But do you see the picture? There's no... One, there's no hiding of emotions. We know that exactly what David is feeling, but catch what he says in verse 23. After those words, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Do you, do you see what he's praying here? What he's Saying He's saying, God, I, I think these people should pay for what they're doing. I believe I'm being righteous in my anger toward them, and I believe that I hate them like I believe you hate them. I, I desire for them to, see the to get the consequences that you would see them receive. But what does David recognize? He recognizes that, that he, may, he may cross over a line he may recognize that he might not see things rightly as God does. He's aware that he might not be able to judge motives correctly or that he might be too harsh or too lenient in what needs to be done. And so he says in his heart, Lord, I'm not going to worry about them. I'm going to worry about me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. He's saying, Lord, search my motives. Search my heart. Help me to see my sin. Help me to see the wrongs that I've done to others and the ways that I have mistreated people and the insensitivities that I've shown and the sins that I have committed. Lord, help me to see those things. Because again, what truth does David know? David knows that God will lead him in the way of righteousness. He knows that God will do whatever is just and righteous. 
whether it be in his own life or in the life of the offender. And so David knows that he can trust God to help him focus where he wants him to and not to focus on the other stuff, the hurt, the mistreatments of what others have done to him. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm, I'm not saying that we don't have to work out wrongs with people. It doesn't mean that there isn't a place to go lovingly to our brother or sister to point out sin when it's done and, and even hurts when it's done to us. There's a place for that, and God's word speaks to that clearly. It's right to go to people and to work it out and repent and to forgive and ask forgiveness. But the starting point, even in that conversation, is the end of Psalm 139. Search me. Show me my sin. Before I go address someone else's, we should never say, let me play God and try to determine the consequences that someone else should experience. But rather... Let me, let me experience the consequences I deserve so that I can be righteous. You see, David makes it clear that there is no place for doing wrong in the lives of people that wrong us. There's no place for returning evil for evil. What we should do is, is look inward. And what we should do is, is pray for God to search us and know us. And then rest and trust in his justice, in his timing. Knowing that he'll do what is best and right for me and for everybody else. All that's involved. That's a, that's a hard place to live. But I believe that's where, that's where David lived and it's where he invites us to live as well. I said at the beginning, the experience of Psalm 139 is very common. But the response to the wrongs and the mistreatments, very uncommon. I, I don't know when it will happen next for you. But I know this. You are going to get wronged and hurt again. It might be five to ten minutes after the service ends. It might be on the, the car ride home. It might be while you're eating a meal later today. Or maybe your family is better than mine and you'll have to wait a little longer. And it will happen tomorrow at work or this next week at school. Maybe the next week or maybe perhaps the week after that. I don't know when, but I know that it's coming. Someone is going to wrong you. Someone is going to mistreat you or say a harsh word, judge unjustly, unrighteously judge your motives, your character, attack you, put you down, reject you in some way. It's coming. It's part of life. And so what will you do when it does? How will you respond to those things? I'd encourage you to do as David did and remember the truths that we talked about this morning. Truth one, he knows. He knows. Truth two, he's, he's with you. 
He's with you. Truth three, he's, he's in control. He's orchestrated everything involved in the situation. And four, he will rightly deal with it. He's got it. And so we need to stay focused on our own righteousness, our own godly response. And when we do that, we don't whine. We don't wallow. We don't wrestle. And we don't wrong. These are powerful words that we can know and apply to our lives today. Theology 101. These are things that we can know about God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that speaks to us where we are. And Lord, to look at the life of David to see that he was a, a real man with real struggles. He lived in a real world, world where people wronged and, and hurt him. Father, he watched those around him not only hurt him, but hurt you, despise you and your name. And, and there rose up in him feelings of hatred and frustration, experiences of pain and difficulty. God, I, I thank you for this example of a real person like me. We can understand his hurt. We could feel the pain that he felt, experienced, perhaps some of the things that he experienced. And so, God, I would pray even now, as we have looked at your word, God, that by your spirit you would, you would help us to live like David in our response to the hurts that come our way. When the hurts come in complete completeness, Lord, we would pray that you would give us grace and strength to clarify what you're up to, to know that we can respond rightly to those things. Help us to trust you. Give us patient endurance and complete rest, even as we seek to exalt you. Grow us in this way that we might show Christ to the world. We love you and thank you for this time that we've been able to spend looking at your word. We ask and pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, our Savior. Amen.